to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John and Sam. We are so thrilled that you've listened to us for 30 episodes now. This is number 30, John. That's amazing. Congratulations. It feels like we've made it. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. But hey, if this has been a help to you, we want to just thank you for for listening and sharing the podcast. Um, Here we go with our next question. I was having a discussion with a girl I previously went to high school with, and she is Catholic. She claimed that believers can lose their salvation. I've always understood scripture to argue against that. And she also said Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sinless. Are these the major differences between Christianity and Catholicism? Yeah, quite a question. I mean, this is something that hits home for me. Being Italian on my dad's side, fully Italian, Catholicism runs deep. Okay. And so just a few things about my history. My dad grew up in the Catholic school and the Catholic Church, and he was a part of a school that no longer exists in Detroit called St. David's. And uh, he tells all sorts of crazy stories. Probably his craziest story he told us years ago in grade school is that a nun actually told him, if you ever see someone getting hit by a car and they're laying on the ground and it looks like they're going to die, run over to them, spit on them, and do the sign of the cross, and it acts as an emergency baptism. What? (laughs) Can you believe that? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, crazy, crazy story. (laughs) Not that all Catholics would believe such a thing, but that is something that my dad told me. My dad was an altar boy, okay, and he was involved in the Catholic Church. I wouldn't say that they attended every week, went to Mass every week, Mm. um, but he was definitely a part of it. My extended family very much is Catholic. Trying to talk uh, an Italian Catholic into leaving the Catholic Church is like trying to talk me in the leaving University of Michigan as a fan. <laughs> I mean, it's there's a lot of pride involved. And I'm actually being very serious. Mm-hmm. And so that is the extended uh, family uh, that I grew up with. My grandfather, he literally, as an Italian, got um, approached by the mafia years ago oh, wow. to join the mafia in some way. And he would have nothing to do with it. And they slapped him up a little bit. Wow. True story. Wow. I don't know a ton about it. He didn't want to talk much about it. But that makes sense. True story. So many years later, uh, my grandfather would come to know Christ through my dad getting saved and giving his life over to Jesus. And you might be listening and thinking, well, aren't Catholics saved? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But my grandfather gave himself over to Jesus and salvation. Let's just say it like this, by grace through faith alone. But he had a lot of material, a lot of things from his upbringing. And so I began to do some research on Catholicism. So I would say Catholicism and Christianity are very different. Can a Catholic be saved? Uh, it's possible, yes, but I would say it's not prevalent. In other words, a practicing Catholic would likely believe a different form of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, than an evangelical would believe. Literally, this weekend I had the privilege of speaking at Lake Ann Camp at a couple's retreat with my wife. It was fantastic. We had a great time. And we actually got to counsel a couple, wonderful couple, wonderful, wonderful couple. I hope they're listening. Um, And we found out that they're part of a Catholic church. So we began to talk to them about a few things and uh, give them some counsel on some other areas, uh, not related to their church, of course, related to their marriage. Um, But the thing that we try to challenge them with, which I'm going to talk about in just a few moments, is really getting deep into the Word of God, which doesn't always happen in the Catholic church. And so... The reality is, is that we need this. And so this is not, by the way, an extensive understanding of Catholicism today on our podcast, because honestly, 
Uh, that would take a lot more than 15 to 20 minutes that our podcast goes. Yeah, we don't have that much time. We just don't have that much time. And I've not done the research either uh, that would be necessary for something extended. But with that said, this is somewhat familiar to me because of my family heritage and the things that I already have studied in the past. So I hope it can be a help to you, our listeners, understanding a few of the major differences. So I want to give you six of them. And again, I'm not going to take a ton of time in each one, but this gives you a general idea. And I think this will answer the question of our listeners. So number one is sola scriptura is not believed. Sola scriptura is the idea of solely the scriptures. Literally, I was on Twitter a few months ago, and I was having a debate with an Anglican. And this guy literally told me that I was a heretic because I believed that the Bible was the only rule of faith and practice, that I was the heretic. And I almost started laughing out loud because I was thinking, oh, my word, I think he's the heretic. And yet he thinks I'm the heretic. And so often debates over traditionalism, which is much of what the Catholic Church believes, um, crop up in comparisons between Protestantism and Catholicism. Protestantism adheres to sola scriptura. This is, again, that the authority of scripture alone is what we believe in matters of faith and practice. That is probably the most important thing, I would say, even as a practicing a Baptist, that we would believe the Bible is the only rule of faith and practice. Catholicism, on the other hand, gives equal weight to church tradition. And so they would take traditions over the past and the Word of God and combine them, blend them together. That would be their understanding. But Jesus, he often would uh, rebuke the traditionalists of the day, the Pharisees. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 52, he made it clear that it's the Word of God alone as the authority. And so I think that's really important. Of course, some tradition has some incredible merit, but it has to be focused and based on the authoritative word of God, or else it's worthless. And so, sola scriptura is the biggest thing. So for me, when I'm preaching or teaching or leading, I always go back to the scriptures. Uh, you know, we we dealt with a particular issue in our church, uh, and we went to the word of God. I spoke at this couples conference, and what do we give people? The word of God. That's our focus more than anything else. So tradition would not be mixed in with the word of God. So that would be the biggest difference, okay? So our starting point, foundation, the Catholic Church is going to take many, many years of their history and put that on the same level as the Word of God, whereas we would take the Word of God and say it is the thing alone. So that's the first thing. Number two then leads into this, and that is works are central to salvation. So the Catholic Church would believe that in order to be saved, you must be involved in the Catholic Church. You must be serving, and you must be doing particular things. Um, One that stands out is the Holy Eucharist, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, often what's called Mass, and also baptism. Uh, We'll talk about that in a few minutes, too. But the Bible tells us clearly something very different. Titus 3, verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you see that term, washing, Sometimes it's talking about baptism. Often it's talking about the Word of God. So this is the renewal of the Word of God in us. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, justification is the idea of being declared righteous. We talked about it before. It's a forensic term. It's like in the court of law, 
the judge throws the gavel down and says, you are free. You are free to go. You are not guilty. And so that's what the grace of God does for the sinner. And it says, we might then become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. But this is through the grace of God. It's not through anything that we could ever do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, familiar verses, for by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So that's a big difference. To the Catholic Church, uh, people that attend the church, they're part of that church, they would say, you have to do this, this, and this in order to be saved. And we would say, that's not true. We do this, this, and this because we are saved. We do it out of gratitude, Mm -hmm. not out of guilt. We do it because of what Jesus did for us. But there's nothing we could ever do to earn our salvation. Right, to make up for our sin because Jesus is the one that paid it for us. Yes, absolutely. And so that's really important that we understand that. Another tenet of Catholicism that would, I would say, contradict Christianity is how Mary is viewed. Mary is viewed as being divine in the Catholic Church. She is, sometimes Catholics look at her as the co-redeemer, literally. Mm -hmm. And so there's this overemphasis on the importance of Mary. Historically, uh, we see this in the different popes and the things that they had to say. Pope Leo the 13th, back in 1891, he said, by the will of God, Mary is the intermediary through whom is distributed unto us this immense treasure of mercies gathered by God for mercy and truth were created by Jesus Christ. Thus, as no man go to the Father, but by the Son, so no man go to Christ, but by his mother. Literally, literally uh, viewing Mary as an intermediary between us and God. And so, you know, the fact is, this is not in the Bible anywhere. And again, that goes back to tradition versus truth in the Mm. Word of God. Mm. Matthew 11, verses 28, Jesus said that I will give you rest. Come to me. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, he says, no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus spoke of oneness with the Heavenly Father in multiple places, Matthew 11, Luke 10, in the Gospel of John, in many places, he spoke of oneness with the Father. He never spoke of oneness with his mother ever. Hmm. And so that would be a big, big difference. Pope John Paul II added to this, um, what I would call heretical deification of Mary by quoting Pope Pius XII when he said, preserved free from all guilt of original sin, the Immaculate Virgin was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory upon the completion of her earthly sojourn. She was exalted by the Lord as queen of the universe, literally being described as someone who is sinless. It's incredible to think about it. Hmm. And it's just not true. It's not at all true. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that Mary was sinless. The only thing that we see in the Bible is Mary being praised um, for being the mother of Jesus. And she should be a woman that we look up to. um, But literally, Mary, when she understands that she's going to conceive and give birth to the Son of God, what does Mary do? She worships God. Mm-hmm. And when the Bible describes her as being blessed among women, it's because God chose her as a servant to be the one that would give birth to the Messiah. But there's nothing holy and righteous in and of her that would ever make her in comparison to the Lord God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Right. And so that would be a big difference. We definitely would not believe that. Another thing that would stand out is the earthly priesthood. And so, of course, if you're part of the Catholic Church, there are priests that lead the church. And they would say that the priesthood is necessary 
as being intermediaries between us and God. According to the canons and decrees of the Council of Trent, um, the canons concerning the most sacred sacrament of penance, it reads like this, if anyone denies that sacramental confession was instituted by divine law or is necessary to salvation or says that the manner of confessing secretly to a priest alone, it goes on to say, is at variance with the institution and command of Christ and is a human contrivance, let this person be anathema. And that term anathema means let him be cursed. Hmm. In other words, if you say that the priest is not the intermediator between God in you, then you should be cursed. Well, the problem that I have with this, um, as you can imagine, is that the Bible speaks very different of this. First Timothy chapter number two, in verse number five, the Bible says, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is our go-between. Jesus is the one that we go to, and Jesus takes our prayers to the Father. And so confessing your faults to a priest, there's no need for that. Mm -hmm. It's never been something that was important. And the reality is, is that the priesthood that we think of in the Old Testament was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, because what did the priests do? They offered the what? Sacrifices for the sins of the people. That's exactly what they did. But what did Jesus do? He, he offered... sacrificed himself for the sins of the people. Exactly. So he fulfilled he... the law, right? Exactly. He is the once and for all sacrifice. And so the need for the Old Testament priesthood is no longer even necessary. But for the Catholic Church, what they've done is looked at the priest as the one that you go to and pray to for forgiveness. But that's not at all biblical. That is a tradition. Number five, communion or what they call as the mass. Now, the big difference is, is this is a hermeneutical approach. And what that means is our approach to understanding scripture, defining um, in translating in living out scripture, right? Understanding what the text is saying and what the basis is for us to live by. Okay, so the mass, they believe, um, and we would believe that we call communion. The big difference is we look at it as a memorial. They look at it as um, something that's literal. So something that Catholics believe is called transubstantiation. It's the idea that the body and blood um, of Christ um, is literal in the elements. So literally, when you're taking communion, the bread becomes the body of Christ, and the blood becomes, um, or the juice becomes the, the blood of Christ, or the wine, if you're taking literal wine, mm -hmm. becomes the blood of Christ. And they would they would look to Scripture, but they're misdefining Scripture. They would look to John chapter 6, in verse 56, when Jesus said, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood partakes of me. But Jesus literally used metaphors all the time to prove a point. And in that moment, the Bible says, if you read the rest of the story, the Bible says that many left him at the time because it was a hard saying. They couldn't understand it. and They wanted nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. What Jesus was saying is, leave everything that you have and come follow me. That was the point of it, right? That's what he's trying to say. Now, but again, is, that, is that along the same lines of like being born again when he was saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again? Would you compare it to that? Yes, that I metaphor? would. Okay. I would because Jesus went on to say that he was the door. He also went on to say that he was a shepherd. Jesus said that he was the light of the world. He said that he was the bread of life. And I, I always make a joke of this. Like Jesus wasn't a six foot piece of bread walking around. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's my first time hearing you say that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there are metaphors that are used all the time. Uh, Jesus wasn't a door. He's not light. Well, 
he is light, but again, it's it's in a metaphor sense. Mm-hmm. So this comes down to hermeneutics. It comes down to what I consider inconsistencies in understanding hermeneutics. And so Jesus uh, defined himself in many different ways to prove a point. And so we look at communion as a memorial service. We're remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. Remember Jesus said uh, to his disciples that night when they took it for the first time during the Passover, he said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And so we do it to remember in a physical way, a physical, physical way, what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross mm-hmm. by giving his body and giving his blood. But it's not transubstantiation, this idea where there's some mystical experience there that makes us one with Christ and saves us. Mm-hmm. I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. Sure. The last point I want to make is just infant baptism. That is something that Catholics practice. Uh, many, many kids... Uh, babies are, are baptized as infants into the Catholic Church. But again, this is a tradition. You will never find an example in the Word of God of, of a baby being baptized. The fact is, baptism was always something that came after faith and repentance. It was always something that someone did to identify themselves physically with what's happened in their heart already. Mm-hmm. Christ changes us from the inside out. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then the baptism was a physical picture to the world, to those that were there to see that the sins had been washed away. And it was a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as well. And so baptism for us is really important, but it does not save. So that would be the big difference. So when we think about this, remember the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scriptures God breathed. And the passage goes on to say that it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing that we need outside of Scripture. That's the thing. I I want us to understand that thoroughly in this podcast today. We need to be equipped, and we do that through the Word of God. So is Christianity and Catholicism the same thing? I would say absolutely not. And salvation is a gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus alone. And so if a Catholic, going back to part of the question that our um, listener asked, if a Catholic believes that you can lose your salvation, it's going to be because they believe that you have to do something or a number of things to gain salvation. There's nothing that we can do in our own power to be saved. That's great. That's great. Thank you for answering that question so, so well, John. I know we didn't have a ton of time to dive deeper into this, but maybe there's a follow-up question out there um, for one aspect of this. If, if you'd like to learn more about this, please email John at weareemmanuel.life and we can do a follow-up episode to this. Or if you have another question, please feel free to ask and you can email him. And we will answer your question on a future episode. So thanks for listening and have a great week. Bye.